thy grace into our hearts. That we... Arise, it's a new day. Hear his word, let us pray. The sunrise morning show. Day, the 6th of February, the Feast of the Martyrs of Nagasaki. Let's pray together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, the martyrs bear witness to the power of the cross in life and death. Send your truth and your love that we may imitate their courage and strength and faith. We pray for the church throughout the world that we may live the faith for which the martyrs died. We pray for all missionaries as they work to build communities of faith in many lands, especially in the Asian nations, that they may share the courage of the Japanese martyrs. And we pray for the Christians of Japan, that their lives may be a light to their neighbors. O oh God, the strength of all the saints, you called St. Paul Miki and his companions to take the way of the cross to enter into life. Grant us, like them, to keep till death the faith which we proclaim. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. It is a better way to start a Tuesday morning, the Sunrise Morning Show here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. And Travis has a video feed. And don't blame Travis for the fact that I look weird this morning because I'm coming to you from a hotel uh, in Ohio today for some journey home taping. So pray that those go well. Up this hour, we'll talk to Father Augustine Weta. Get another Desert Father story that will hopefully help us uh, make better decisions in our own daily lives. Marlon De La Torre will discuss love and God's will. He joins us from the Diocese of Columbus. We'll check in with Dr. Matthew Bunsen and hear from him about the martyrs of Nagasaki as well. And if you've never heard their story, you need to, uh, let's just say it's appointment listening. That'll be after the news at the bottom of the hour. We'll talk to Dr. Bunsen about the Nagasaki Martyrs. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Central Command is still assessing the casualties from U.S. airstrikes in Iraq and Syria. That's what Pentagon spokesman Major General Pat Ryder told reporters yesterday. He said the goal of Friday's strike was to target the Iranian-backed groups responsible for the attack in Jordan that left three American soldiers dead and dozens more wounded. Top administration officials say this is just the beginning of retaliation against these groups. The Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith has issued a new doctrinal note over the weekend on discerning the validity, validity of the sacraments. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. Justice Verbisque reaffirms that the formulas and material elements established in the essential rite of each sacrament cannot be changed at will in the name of creativity. Doing so, in fact, renders the sacrament itself invalid. Therefore, it never existed and no sacramental grace was conferred. Cardinal Victor Fernandez, prefect of the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, said that there has been a multiplication in the number of situations in which it was necessary to declare the invalidity of the celebrated sacraments. As an example, he cited modifications to the baptismal formula, including, I baptize you in the name of the Creator, or in the name of the Dad and the Mom, we baptize you. Some priests, he noted, have also discovered the invalidity of their own ordination due to an invalid baptism. Cardinal Fernandez explained that while in other areas of the Church's pastoral action there is ample room for creativity, 
In the realm of sacramental celebration, this turns instead into a manipulative will. He said the church has the duty to ensure the priority of God's action and to safeguard the unity of the body of Christ. Sacraments consist of matter such as water, bread, wine, or oil, and form such as words or eloquent gestures like the sign of the cross, anointing, or laying on of hands. These elements and their interrelation cannot be changed without invalidating the sacrament they confer because they find their origin in sacred scripture, in the church's living tradition, and in the magisterium. Therefore, says the note, matter and form have never depended nor can depend on the will of the individual or the individual community. Justice Verbisque concludes by noting that what is read in the promulgated liturgical books must be faithfully observed without adding, removing, or changing anything. I'm Devin Watkins. Some Republicans are opposing the Senate's bipartisan border security and foreign aid package unveiled over the weekend. House Speaker Mike Johnson says the legislation will not come close to ending what he called the border catastrophe. Utah Senator Mike Lee called it a betrayal, adding that Republicans can kill it in the Senate if 41 oppose it. The legislation would rewrite key parts of immigration law, including slashing the number of migrants eligible for asylum and changing how those claims get processed. Opponents argue it doesn't go far enough in restricting the number of illegal entries. Meanwhile, a House vote on impeaching Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas could come as early as today. Yesterday, the Republican-led House Rules Committee voted 8-4 to to send the measure to the full House for a vote. At least 15 homes are destroyed after fast-moving mudslides Over 10 inches of rain have fallen over two days in parts of the Hollywood Hills and Santa Monica Mountains. Steep hillsides that were already saturated from recent rains gave out during yesterday's downpour. Half a dozen homes have extensive damage, leaving six adults and nine kids unable to return home. A new national poll from the University of Massachusetts Amherst has found little enthusiasm for a Biden-Trump rematch. Mark Mayfield reports. Over a thousand people were questioned and 53 percent said they didn't want former President Trump to run. 57 percent didn't want President Biden to seek re-election. The poll's margin of error was 3.7 percent. I'm Mark Mayfield. Country music star Toby Keith has died. He was 62 years old. The singer died last night, according to his official social media account. Keith had been diagnosed with stomach cancer back in 2022. And the NBA is doing something unique to the court for All-Star Weekend. The league announced yesterday that a full video LED court will be used for several events at Lucas Oil Stadium. The new floor will make its debut for the Celebrity Game on the 16th and stay for three-point and other skill competitions on Saturday night. The high-tech court will feature design and color changes, live replays, and other video content and real-time game stats, along with other animations. The traditional All-Star Game tips off from Indianapolis on Sunday, February the 18th. Matt, I'm wondering, do you think they'll keep it around for the Eucharistic Congress? I hope not. <laughs> so, uh, no, you know, I feel like I feel like at a certain point, you know, when you uh, this is like liturgical build, like, innovation. Cool, it, yeah, it would definitely be that. But like, uh, 
a certain point, like when you build a really cool like Lego spaceship, mm-hmm. and then you're like, I should add some more stuff on this spaceship. Suddenly, it just doesn't look as cool anymore. You're like, I should have stopped when we got to where we should have gotten. Uh, I feel like that's about where we are technologically as a society. I feel like we probably shouldn't make any more new stuff. Like, I'm, I'd be cool with like. So I was in the airport yesterday, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I was walking to the men's restroom at BWI Airport. Okay. And there was a interactive screen. I don't know if it was interactive, but there was a constantly updating screen, and it showed uh, it updated the number of how many stalls were available. And I thought, I suppose that's useful, but I feel like we have taken our ability to develop technology too far. Okay. No, like, I'm sorry. Just, that's kind know. of creepy. How many bathroom yeah, stalls are open? I mean, I guess they're measuring yeah. that by whether the stall is locked or not. But that, that I'm just saying, I think we've out. made enough new stuff. I don't think we need any more inventions. I think um, humanity's okay. Well, maybe some I, stuff that like helps with food production. But beyond that, I, I, I yeah, I mean, I don't want to go. I don't want to whitewash it all. But I think we need a little better discernment on what we're trying to invent. As Dr. Like Ian Malcolm said in Jurassic Park, your yeah. scientists were so concerned with whether or not they could, they didn't think about whether or not they should. I mean, like, who thought this would be really helpful? I'm going to find, I'm going to invent something that tells people whether, how many stalls are open in the bathroom, as opposed to, like, I'm going to invent Just something that helps solve world hunger. Yeah, there's, you know, there's other places that we could invest this technolo- technological effort. I feel like we need to put our minds toward more important things. I think that's where we're I at. I think so. It's 10 minutes past the hour. Uh, Father Augustine Weta now joining us. is the author of Pray, Think, Act, Make Better Decisions with the Church Fathers. Father, good morning. Good morning. How are you? All right. So get us a good monk story then today to help us uh, dive back into this question of discernment and decision making. (laughs) Well, a brother asked Abba Pullman, uh, a legacy has been given to me. What should I do with it? After spending some time in silence, the old monk came back and said, return in three days and I will tell you. Three days later, the brother returned. What have you decided, he asked. He answered, I have decided that it is none of my business. (laughs) (laughs) Which isn't much of an answer, admittedly. It's kind of a cop-out, really. But monks, you know, in the Dominican tradition and the uh, Jesuit tradition, they talk about spiritual direction. But monks don't tend to spiritually direct. We tend to call it spiritual accompaniment. Precisely because we don't tend to think that we have much advice to give. What will happen, you'll notice in a lot of these stories, is that someone will come seeking advice, and then the monk will tell them a story that doesn't seem to have anything to do with the topic and tell them to get lost. Um, And the moral of, well, all the stories really is that when you need advice from someone, you don't say, like, what would you do? You ask them, how would you make this decision? So, uh, because, of course, if anyone asked me what, what I would do in their, their position, I'd say drop everything and become a monk. 
but that that may not be the answer. That would not for be you. probably a good idea for for a very good number of our listeners. Uh, that yeah. would uh, throw their families into disarray yeah, just a little exactly. bit. Well, you know, it's so funny that you position the issue this way because. You know, I was uh, an evangelical in the late 90s. I worked at Family Christian Store, which is kind of like the big really? Christian bookstore chain back in the day. And I worked there when all the big stuff came out, when VeggieTales hit, when the Left Behind oh, yeah. series was cranking. Like, Christian contemporary music was at its peak. We were even there for the prayer of Jabez. But I was absolutely yeah. there when the WWJD bracelet hit and oh, exploded yeah. and went everywhere. And everybody's asking this question, what would Jesus do? And I'm like, most of the stuff that Jesus would do is stuff that is not, I mean, Jesus would be like, ah, it's the middle of the night. I'm going to go walk across the lake. I can't really yeah. do that. <laughs> so, so I have to obviously think of that question in different terms, right? Well, right. And of course, when you ask what Jesus would do, uh, kicking over tables and beating people up is not, you know, totally out of the question. But if you're going to start kicking over temples, uh, over uh, tables in the church, you better darn well know what you're doing, which Jesus really did. In fact, I was listening to, uh, no, I was reading a book the other day that Jesus himself was the only person who never had to apologize for anything. <laughs> and, and if I asked myself, what would Jesus do? He, would, he certainly would never apologize right? because he was always right. That's a good point. Uh, right. And apparently he wouldn't shop anywhere that I shop right now because there's no evidence that he did. <laughs> right, so, yeah, J.C. I mean, Penney's wasn't a thing. Apparently <laughs> not. Uh, J.C. Penney's, the J.C. yes, the Penney's no. So uh, <laughs> Clever. Yeah, well, well, and the other thing is that the saints have different ways of making decisions than we do. They tend to see things slightly different. And the point is to see things like a saint, not like... Well, not like Father Augustine. Yeah, they they, they say about Saint Teresa of Lisieux that uh, in her childhood she was offered a uh, Lisieux. How did it go? She and her sister were offered a basket full of toys, and someone said to him, "Well, you can choose whichever one you want." And her sister chose a ball of twine, I think, or something. Toys were simpler back then, I guess. And then uh, Trace took the whole basket and said, well, I choose everything. <laughs> and the point, I think, of the story being that she didn't, she didn't feel limited by the, the question itself. Um, so, so reframing the question and maybe thinking in terms like, a, or, or didn't St. Maximilian Colby had a similar story, that he had a vision where Our Lady offered him the crown of martyrdom or the crown of purity. And he looked at Our Lady and he said, okay, I'll take both, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great, uh, great example of this. But, you know, it's also a great example of, well, like the most Catholic word in the world is the word and, as uh, we like to joke around the Coming Home Network, because we get all these Protestants coming from backgrounds where it was, you know, this doctrine or this doctrine or this kind of faith practice or this, you know, you had to sort of choose, and it was all like binary stuff right. and when you get into catholicism you get a lot of and right yeah. so like if the, i mean the question is should i be celibate or should i have a fruitful family life uh the catholic church <laughs> is going to tell you yes right <laughs> i mean right then well, you got to well, work that out i think part of say be chaste 
Right. You know, either way, you're going to be chased, right? Well, so, and, and to, to get to this heart of the story of the brother who comes to the abbot and asks, you know, what should I do about this? And he says, you know, I've decided that it's none of my business. I think part of what's at heart here is that sometimes we want other people to do the hard work of discerning for us. Yeah. <laughs> instead of having to, you know, actually work through some of that stuff ourselves in our own souls. Yeah, when I was discerning my own vocation, I remember going into the abbot's office and saying, this is really too much for me. Uh, just tell me what to do. You're a superior. <laughs> and he just laughed at me <laughs> and said, no, go back to your room. You know, you, you, I'm not going to, 20 years from now, you're going to want to have made this decision yourself. Well, thank you so much, as always, Father Augustine Weta, for helping us make better decisions with the Desert Fathers. I don't know about you, but I have a lot of fun with Father Augustine. He's always got something to say that I've never heard before. (laughs) We're coming up with uh, headlines after the break. It's 17 past. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. For more than 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most forgotten people. With our founder, St. Daniel Combonius and inspiration, we work for the full development of the human person through evangelization, education, and advocacy. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at kombonimissionaries.org. That is kombonimissionaries.org. It's always harder to get out of bed when it's cold outside, so... Give yourself something to look forward to, like Mystic Monk Coffee for the first cup of the day. You can find a link to Mystic Monk Coffee at our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, and we earn a commission on anything you buy through that link. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug, which you can buy through our online store. Check out the mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Forever she will be venerated, distinguished for heroic virtue. Join the Holy Father as this witness to the Christian faithful is raised to the altars from St. Peter's Basilica, Holy Mass and canonization of Blessed Maria Antonia of St. Joseph, Sunday at 3.30 a.m. Eastern on EWTN-TV and Radio Essentials. 19 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. Central Command says they're still assessing the casualties from U.S. airstrikes in Iraq and Syria over the weekend. The Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith issued a new doctrinal note over the weekend on discerning the validity of sacraments. And Pope Francis over the weekend, it's been revealed, made a phone call to a religious sister in Haiti to offer his support. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And Anna Mitchell, I first of all, Father Augustine is like one of my favorite segments of the week. Uh, whenever we get to talk to him, but even just the way that uh, that he was tackling that question about, um, you know, the what would Jesus do 
question mm -hmm. and how that's sort of like a false way to frame the question, right? What would Jesus do? Well, he might spit on the ground and make mud and rub it on your face, right? right. There's all kinds of things that Jesus would, would possibly do, do in a situation. Yeah. The question, uh, the question, the better question being like, what should I do because I believe in Jesus, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. That's a much better way to frame that question. Yeah. Um, it's true. But, I mean, <laughs> what would Jesus do? Well, you know, Jesus would heal the blind man. Jesus would raise someone from the dead. I mean, like, there are a lot of things. I can't do that. I can't do that. So. I mean, maybe you could. He would rebu rebuke a fig tree, you know, these sorts of things that are probably not on my agenda for the day. But I probably should think to myself, how should I live differently? Yeah. Because I am a baptized, believing Christian. So at any rate, just to reframe on that WWJD. What would Jesus do? He would send me to you. confession. Probably. You know? And he wouldn't need to go to confession. No. And to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Have you subscribed to get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes? When you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, Go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. The Baltimore Catechism asks, when does the church speak infallibly? The church speaks infallibly when it speaks through the Pope and bishops united in at general council, or through the Pope alone when he proclaims to all the faithful a doctrine of faith or morals. Examples of the church speaking infallibly include the Council of Trent, when the Church proclaimed that there is a single canon of sacred scripture. The Pope has spoken infallibly when he declared that Mary was assumed into heaven, body and soul. The infallibility of the Church does not mean that the Pope cannot sin or that he cannot be mistaken in anything. Whether the Pope is a good man or a bad man in his private life, he will always tell the truth when he speaks ex cathedra because the Holy Ghost is guiding him and will not permit him to err or teach falsehood in faith or morals. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. It's 23 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to have you along with us on this Feast of the Martyrs of Nagasaki. Marlon De La Torre joining us again on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's Senior Director of the Department of Evangelization for the Diocese of Columbus. He writes at knowingisdoing.org. Good morning, Marlon. Go Bucks. Good morning, Annie. Go Bucks. So we Christians can easily get bogged down with the minutia of 
our lives in wanting to mm -hmm. know what is God's will for every mm -hmm. particular thing in my life. But we're going to be looking <laughs> big picture today, Marlon. Ultimately, sure. what is God's will for us? Oh, gosh, I think the will and the aim is to be with Him in eternal joy, and that eternal joy can only come from our final state in life in heaven. Uh, I, I think that, that that's the perennial thing uh, for God and His children. As a good father, He never wants us to stray, even though we did. And if we do stray, He's always watching us and wanting us to bring, bring us back to Him. It's like when, when we're riding a bicycle for the first time, and dad or mama are right behind us. The dad's right behind you. He's making sure you don't fall. And when he takes off the training wheels, he's even more nervous because he's afraid that he may take a wrong turn and just to take a, an unfortunate crash onto the concrete. And he wants heaven for us. He wants us to be with him for all eternity. That's what a good father would desire. And when you see this play over and over again with our Lord, especially through his son, um, you can see that love, that he does not want us to go astray. And, and, and that's a beautiful, consoling thing, because ultimately, that's our direction. That's our life. But that is literally why we're made to love him. And if we reciprocate that love, and we show that love to our fellow brothers and sisters, even better. But ultimately, he, he wants us to be home with him. Yeah. You know, in your blog post about this, you talk about the divine pedagogue. Mm-hmm. A number of times. Uh, what, okay. what, what, yes. what does that mean, divine pedagogue? Glad, it's a great question. Uh, a pedagogue is somebody who desires truth for someone. And really, a pedagogue is someone who leads a child towards truth, and that the truth is literally wrapped in love uh, in a very direct way. And so being a pedagogue means that you take the responsibility of caring for the soul of a child, and that your intention and your premise is to make sure that that, that child is led to the truth of that concept or that topic or that theme. Now, in, in the case of our faith, a pedagogue is someone who leads someone to Jesus Christ, who leads someone to the love of God, and that you're nurturing that love and that you're nurturing, and nurturing that love uh, through the reading of Scripture, prayer, discernment, uh, introducing an ascetical life, so to speak. So that child knows that he or she is protected uh, by our Lord and that this particular teaching that's evolved from God through His Son is true is real, and that it will be the entryway towards your salvation. And so that, that is literally the definition of the term pedagogue. And so the divine pedagogue, God himself, wants to lead us to him. Mm. He wants to show us the truth. And when we strayed, he doubled down and basically uh, took on human form through his son, Jesus Christ. Now we have the incarnate son, God the Son, who says, who believes in me, whoever believes in me and partakes of me, and I'm paraphrasing from John 6, 47, uh, will have eternal life. And so this becomes really part of the, the divine pedagogue's intention. God wants us to be with him in heaven. He wants salvation for us. And so when we look at, you mentioned the incarnation, of course, we, yeah. we have that in, in the New Testament, and then you wonder, what do I do with the Old Testament? Well, mm -hmm. it's all of one piece, isn't it? When you look at the law— in the Old Testament, Correct. it is meant to lead us to God, right? I mean, ultimately, the, the first commandment tells us a lot, doesn't it? It does, because it, it sets the stage for our understanding of who God is. He's our Father, He's our Abba, He's our Daddy. And it sets uh, the, the part of faith that's so unique to us in the fact that we assent to Him, and that in that assent to Him, 
we're protected, we're blanketed in that love. And so when we place our trust in Him, we look at the rule of faith as not as, uh, it's not an incarceration of the Spirit. It's not an incarceration of the soul. It's a protection of the soul. Exactly. And only a good Father would lead that pathway to you. It's just like, look, follow this way, follow this path, and it will lead you to holiness. It will lead you to sanctification. And that's the aim. And without that, we have nothing. And so only a, a, a loving Father, a benevolent Father, would say, look, here's the path. And this first commandment sets the stage for all the rest because it, it leads you to understand who God is as Father, and then our actions are called to mimic His and to show that love to our fellow brother in Christ. And so uh, it's a very poignant way of our Lord showing His love for us. Uh, how does John Paul II talk about this, Marlon? You know, it's uh, in every document that he's shown, but I, I, I reference Redemptor Hominus here, which is really his, his initial thrust to the world. Uh, man can't live without love, plain and simple. And we are built to have an encounter with God. This is the key, and that encounter is really manifested through His Son, the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And that man is given a gift in the Son of Jesus Christ, and that love is never-ending. It's unending. And that's the beauty of what St. John Paul II is saying in this particular document, is that our redemption comes from the love of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. That it doesn't matter anything else that you do, that when you speak of Him, when you live of Him, when you breathe of Him, when you understand his life and death and resurrection, that all those are pathways to his love and are pathways to understand who he is and why we exist for this very moment, is to know, love, and serve him. And, and this is literally the angle that St. John Paul II tries to express in Redemptor Hominis, because uh, when you, whether you read the document or you read anything else of him, especially theology of the body, it's all meant to be uh, unified with our Lord in love. Absolutely. Go read more about it over at knowingisdoing.org, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Marlon De La Torre, thank you so much, and go Bucks. Appreciate it, Go Bucks. It's half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. U.S. airstrikes on Iranian-backed militias in Iraq and Syria likely resulted in casualties. More from Trey Thomas. The Pentagon told reporters Monday. Well, we'll try to get back to that story here in just a second. Meanwhile, fast-moving mudslides have damaged or destroyed multiple homes in Los Angeles, and more than a dozen people now have to find a new place to sleep. More than 10 inches of rain have fallen over two days in parts of the Hollywood Hills and Santa Monica Mountains. Steep Hillsides that were already saturated from recent rains gave out during Monday's downpour. At least half a dozen homes have extensive damage. Back to that top story. U.S. airstrikes on Iranian-backed militias in Iraq and Syria have likely resulted in casualties. Here's Trey Thomas. Nope, still not going to work. We'll move on. Some Republicans are opposing the Senate's bipartisan border security and foreign aid package unveiled over the weekend. House Speaker Mike Johnson says the legislation will not come close to ending what he called the border catastrophe. Utah Senator Mike Lee called it a betrayal that Republicans can and that Republicans can kill it in the Senate if 41 of them oppose it. The legislation would rewrite key parts of immigration law, including slashing the number of migrants eligible for asylum, 
and changing how those claims get processed. Opponents argue it does not go far enough in restricting the number of illegal entries. Meanwhile, a House vote on impeaching Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas could come as early as today. Yesterday, Republican-led House Rules Committee voted 8-4 to to send the measure to the full House for a vote. Massachusetts Democrat Jim McGovern, meanwhile, slammed Republicans over this effort. He said it was an imp- a frivolous impeachment effort that the that the House has ever seen. Pope Francis this weekend made a phone call to a religious sister in Haiti to offer his support. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Luboff reports. Pope Francis made a phone call on Saturday afternoon to Sister Paisi, a French-born nun who has been in the Haitian capital of Port-au-Prince since 1999 to devote herself to the children of extremely impoverished and densely populated Cité Soleil in the Port-au-Prince metropolitan area. In an interview after the papal phone call with Vatican Radio's Jean-Charles Pizzolou, Sister Paisi offered a few details about her conversation with Pope Francis and the reality facing people in Haiti. Asked how she received Pope Francis' call, she noted it was a great surprise. Une grande surprise pour moi parce que mon téléphone a sonné par le Saint-Père. When my phone rang, I obviously didn't expect to be called by the Holy Father at all, she said. He sent me a message of encouragement and thanked me for being there for the children. Sister Paisi said it brought joy and hope to many other people because this appeal was not just for me. It was really a gesture toward the children and the poorest people of Haiti. She lamented the always more precarious and violent conditions for those in the capital, noting we now see people sleeping in the streets with their children, something we didn't see in Port-au-Prince before. Asked, without the church, without their action, what would their future be? She said, they would be left to fend for themselves and live in poverty. What would become of them, she pondered, only the Lord knows. But a few days ago, she recalled that some mother said to her, Sister, if it weren't for you, we'd all be dead. (laughs) I think they were exaggerating a little, she noted. Sometimes I even wonder, she said, how people manage to survive when they go several days without eating and really have nothing. The Lord is present, she said. I think that's really the answer. He is present for them. He never abandons his children. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. The Patriarchate of Jerusalem is condemning a recent attack on an abbot in the Holy Land. A statement from the Patriarchate on social media says it condemns the unprovoked and shameful assault on Abbot Nicodemus Schnabel, abbot of the Abbey of Dormition in Jerusalem. Noting the perpetrators were arrested, it goes on to say that the prosecution of perpetrators is an important tool for deterrence. That's the news. It's 35 minutes past. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me. Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. That's Leah 
at sacredheartradio.com. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. Venial sin, no matter how slight it may be, displeases God. Therefore, if it displeases God, any will and affection that one has for venial sin is nothing less than a disposition to offend the divine majesty. Is it possible that an upright soul should not only displease God, but even nourish within itself an affection and a will to displease Him? There is nothing more contrary to charity or to the love of God than to have little concern for one's neighbor. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Chris Armstrong. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. Matthew Bunsen, Vice President and Editorial Director of EWTN News. Good morning, Dr. Bunsen. Good morning. Great to be with you. It is great to have you back. And we are talking about the martyrs of Nagasaki today, their feast celebrated February 6th. To start us off, Dr. Bunsen, how would you describe the the situation of Christianity in 16th century Japan when these guys were serving there? Well, the best way to say it is that uh, we have uh, the remarkable work of uh, St. Francis Xavier. Uh, who arrived in Japan in 1547, uh, who left behind a legacy of outreach. Jesuits uh, continued to develop the missions there, and the growth of Christianity was phenomenal. Uh, About 200,000 Christians we know had probably been baptized, had entered the Church uh, by around 1587, 1588, Unfortunately, that also brought very severe tensions in Japan, which had uh, great suspicions about foreigners to start with, and this was seen as a foreign faith. Hmm. And so the time came uh, when the great general and uh, leader, Toyotomi Hideyoshi, grew so alarmed uh, at the possible threat of Christianity uh, that he began a series of persecutions. And that led directly to uh, what occurred in 1597 with the arrest uh, and condemnation and ultimately the execution of the 26 martyrs of Nagasaki, what became the first of a, a number of Japanese martyrs. Well, give us an overview of who these martyrs are. Yeah, well, the the group itself uh, uh, was a combination of uh, native Japanese uh, as well as various uh, missionaries. Uh, Toyotomi Hideyoshi um, 
was very worried, as I was saying, about these foreigners, and this group was comprised of foreigners. Now, of course, we recognize that the, that's no justification for the persecution of people, but I, I mention that because of the extraordinary work done by uh, several uh, Franciscans who were foreign, uh, but then we also have uh, three native Jesuits, and they're the ones uh, that I think we remember most uh, one is St. Paul Mickey, the other is John of Goto, and the, and the other is James Kisai. Paul Mickey uh, was, and, and is most famed of this group, in part because of the eloquence that he brought to his preaching, but also he was the most prominent of them. He was uh, the son of um, a samurai, a, a military leader. He joined the church with the, the whole of his family entered the Jesuits and was remarkable in converting uh, many of his fellow Japanese. And he, as a spokesman, I think is best known, but above all for the final testament that he gave mm -hmm. as he was facing death. Yeah, and I want to get to that in, in just yeah. a second. But first, just take us to February 5th, 1597, and tell us about their execution. Well, before we even get there, we have a truly extraordinary story of the fact that um, once they were condemned, they were marched 600 miles uh, to the city of Nagasaki, which, of course, was famed ever after as the city of martyrs, but also the city of perhaps the most Catholic of the cities uh, in Japan. And that journey itself uh, was marked by by horror, because they were tortured along the way, they were humiliated along the way. But it was also one of the most heroic journeys that you could ever read about or witness, because as they went, even as they were being mocked and humiliated and slowly beaten and tortured with each step, they sang. They sang the Te Deum, they prayed, uh, they gave witness to the faith. Everywhere they went until they reached the very hill, uh, the Hill of Martyrs in Nagasaki. And it was there that uh, each one was attached to a cross uh, by ropes and by an iron collar. And all of them were hanging on the cross. And as was the custom of the time, they would then be stabbed uh, to end their lives. And before he died, Paul Mickey began to preach, and his words were famed, his words were remembered, and as they died, including several children, the Japanese who came to witness this began to weep, they began to cry, and they began to recognize the injustice of this, but also the power of his words. And he said that after Christ's example, I forgive my persecutors, I do not hate them. I ask God to have pity on all, and I hope my blood will fall on my fellow men as a fruitful rain. And it was at that point then that all of them were put to death, but they were not forgotten. I was going to say, um, did his words come true? They did. Now, uh, this is in, as we know, this is toward the end of the 1600s and 1597. It took several hundred years almost 300 years for Japan to be opened up again to the West. When it did, and foreign missionaries were finally allowed in, imagine their surprise mm -hmm. to discover that there were still Japanese Christians. They had gone, in, in the absolute sense of the word, underground, 
that the Christian faith, the Catholic faith, had endured in this country secretly, but it had endured. It's just such a beautiful story, such a powerful story that we get from the martyrs of Nagasaki. What do you think they have to say to us today, Dr. Bunsen? Well, I think what they have to say to us is uh, what martyrs have always said to us, and that is they are witnesses to the faith, but they're also witnesses to that public proclamation, even under the most terrible of circumstances. Here they were being humiliated in a country that understood deeply the importance of honor. To be a criminal was the lowest thing you could be. And for them as so-called criminals, to stand with such honor, but also with joy in proclaiming Christ Jesus in a country that seemed to have grown to hate them is a witness for us, but it's also a role model for us as well. What an incredible story. Martyrs of Nagasaki, St. Paul Miki and Companions, pray for us. Thank you so much, Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Matt, this is, like, if I were to pick, you know, a unique pilgrimage, it would be to walk that route. It would route. be incredible. Could you imagine? It would be an incredible thing. Singing the Te Deum. Uh, well, I mean, it would be like a if Japanese you, If you Camino. had to walk it, you got to walk it singing. Yeah. Right, you got to walk it singing because that's how the martyrs walked it. Oh my gosh! Um, it just gives you chills. I every time I hear that story, I don't know how many times I've heard that story. It just gives me chills. Man, what well, faith. It, it it reminds me also of the Ugandan martyrs uh, who had a very similar situation uh, where they had upset the king, and these are like really young guys uh, in Uganda, and they are not just martyred but marched to their death over. Uh, a, a, a long journey and then eventually burned alive, but mm -hmm. they're singing along the way. The youngest among them, St. Cazito is known for, That's you know, right. trying to tell jokes and keep people's spirits up uh, along the way. The, the martyrs, you know, at the end of the, the hall of faith chapter in uh, Hebrews 11, uh, the writer of Hebrews talks about all these people who were put to death by the sword, sawn in half, you know, fed to beasts. And he goes on to say, the world was not worthy of them. Mm. <laughs> and that, to me, so true. sums up wow. these martyrs. It's a beautiful point. I well, um, want to encourage folks to go over to our Facebook page. I'm going to repost. We post this every year, but the images of the martyrs of Nagasaki – are just amazing and so i'm gonna i'm gonna yep. go over and find them and repost them on our facebook page so folks can look at it um the one in particular that is sort of the asian style of art um it's got a big red dot for a sun do you know what i'm talking about matt are you familiar mm -hmm. yes like the the japanese flag um yeah it's a beautiful image. Yeah. It's powerful. Yeah, yeah. it's well, powerful. a lot of people only know Nagasaki for one thing, but I would say if you're only going to know Nagasaki for one thing, make it St. Paul, Miki, and Companions. Man. They've – powerful story, powerful yeah. story. Indeed. Well, we're back with headlines right after the break. It's 14 till. Let's see. If something costs less but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that is MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save many families up to 500 bucks a month. 
And that is huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want a plan you're happy with, you can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can say. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 877-64-BIBLE. That's 877-64-BIBLE. 877-64-BIBLE. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. One time somebody said to me, why don't you air these people? And I said, no, because I don't think they're Catholic. He says, by what right do you have to say that? I said, I own the network. (laughs) Mother Angelica Live Classics. Tonight, 8 Eastern on EWTN Television and Radio. Hi, this is Janet Williams. Please join us for Women of Grace today at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on EWTN Radio. Wipe that sleep out of your eyes and now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 11 till, here's Anna with headlines. U.S. airstrikes on Iranian-backed militias in Iraq and Syria likely resulted in casualties as Central Command continues to assess. The Patriarchate of Jerusalem is condemning a recent attack on an abbot in the Holy Land. And over the weekend, the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith issued a new doctrinal note over the weekend concerning the validity of the sacraments. All right. Can we talk about that document? Anna sure, Mitchell. Uh, it's I was going to get Justice. Father Philip Michael Tangora to do that. Well, he'll have a sure. lot smarter stuff to say about the canonical side of things. Okay. Um, the document is called Justice Verbisque, or but it looks like it's spelled Justice Verbisque. It looks like a creamy tomato soup. But the uh, the document, uh, it means deeds and words. That's right. that's yeah. how you translate this. And the we've reported before about how people have found out that their baptisms <clears throat> were invalid because people said the wrong words mm-hmm. and all these kinds of things. And some people may misunderstand what the point is here. They may think that the Vatican is just trying to be rigorous and, and, and make its rules and be arbitrary. Uh, but actually it is the person who messes with the words, who's being arbitrary absolutely, <laughs> and treating the sacrament like it's their property. This was so, uh, one of the lines that I thought was so striking from Cardinal Victor Fernandez, who has, you know, not had the greatest of tenures with the dicastery for the he's doctrine a, of the faith so he's far. He's had some rough weeks. He's had yes. a few, uh, yeah, definitely a few rough weeks. But he said in here, I'm trying to find the line, but um, he said, 
we ministers are therefore required to he's talking about how you can't use creativity when it comes to invoking the sacraments and these sacramental ceremonies celebrating the sacraments and he said we ministers are therefore required to have the strength to overcome the temptation to feel like owners of the church yeah. i thought that was kind of a mic drop statement honestly uh, it it really is because when you think about it, the church does not uh, own the sacraments either. Not like no. not only does a random priest or deacon, uh, or even a married couple who confers the sacrament on one another, uh, you we none of those people own the sacrament. But the church doesn't even own the sacrament. As a matter of fact, the church all they can do is carry out what Christ gives. So mm-hmm. the church is really just preserving what was handed on. Uh, we were covering holy orders uh, in OCIA, RCIA, whatever whatever it is I'm supposed to call it right now. I, I have no idea. But uh, we were covering holy orders. And in paragraph 15, 1545 of the Catechism, when it's talking about the priesthood, it makes this really powerful statement um, where it says, the redemptive sacrifice of Christ is unique, accomplished once for all, yet it is made present in the Eucharistic sacrifice of the church. The same what is true. What paragraph did you say this was? Sorry, 1545. I'm a, 1545. Okay, thank you. I'm opening my catechism. It says the same The same is true of the one priesthood of Christ, right? We know that uh, the sacrifice of Jesus is unique and once, and we tap back into that at every Mass, right? We're not re-sacrificing Christ. But it goes on to say the same is true of the one priesthood of Christ. It is made present through the ministerial priesthood without diminishing the uniqueness of Christ's priesthood. Mm-hmm. And it goes on to say this. Only Christ is the true priest. The others— being only his ministers. Mm-hmm. It's not the minister who is meant to act in the sacrament. The minister is just that, a minister of Christ the true priest. So that, and, and John Paul II said this, uh, you know, in relation to the priesthood, the church doesn't have the authority to change right. any of this stuff. Right. The church has no authority. So why would a random guy in a random parish have the authority to change any of it. Well, this is such a misconception of the Catholic Church and Catholicism and the papacy ever since the the whole idea of papal infallibility came to be a thing through Vatican II. I mean, it always was kind of a thing. It was always an idea, but... but was, you know... Formalized. Put, formalized, mm-hmm. I guess that's a good way to put it. Um, in in Vatican one that that somehow people have come to believe that papal infallibility means whatever the Pope says that's what goes and what is oh shoot what is that is it voluntarism is that the the heresy that this is like you know things are right or wrong because God says so and yeah, the idea that it's that, somehow that, that God that's like can this, act against his nature. Yeah, that he that, somehow imposes things just because he feels like it. That's not how God works, and that's not how the church works, and that's not how any of us should work. I mean, I know that it's easy as parents to say, um, you know, you can't have that ice cream cone because I said so, or Freddie, you can't watch Paw Patrol because I said so. No, Freddie, the reason I don't want you to watch Paw Patrol is because I want you to be a good storyteller, and Paw Patrol is bad storytelling, and you get a bad image of storytelling now because really you're watching Paw Patrol. Emails. Oh, my. <laughs> but no, I mean, to, to 
poor Freddie. I use him a lot as an example, don't I? Um, poor but, Paw Patrol. Poor Paw Patrol. But it really is. It's terrible storytelling. But I'm getting off track. The 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 whole point is that there is there's so much behind anything that we have when we talk about rules and it's so easy to fall into the because i said so or because the church said so or because god said so because the pope said so and it's not that way there is truth that has well truth ultimately in the person of jesus christ but but there is truth that that lays the foundation for all of this which is to bring us to our ultimate end which is what marlon de la torre was talking about today god's ultimate will for us is union with him which is our ultimate good so everything is given to us for that purpose and we receive it and transmit it out to others because we're made in his image and after his likeness we are meant to communicate that truth to others as well so that they can reach that ultimate end for their happiness yeah the faith is not and that's created, where the sacraments fall in that's where the sacraments All this stuff is fall received. in yeah yeah, unless you think that this is something where there was a debate between progressive cardinals and traditionalist cardinals and they came to a resolution. No, Pope Francis approved this text with Cardinal Fernandez after the note was discussed and unanimously approved yeah. by the cardinals and bishops at the it. recent January assembly. So this is this is the church. So another full hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up after the break. It is three minutes till. We continue on this Tuesday, the 6th of February. It's the Feast of the Martyrs of Nagasaki, St. Paul, Miki, and Companions. Let's pray the collect for today's Mass in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. O God, strength of all the saints, who through the cross was pleased to call the martyrs St. Paul, Miki, and Companions to life, grant, we pray, that by their intercession we may hold with courage even until death to the faith that we profess. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Martyrs of Nagasaki pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. We are glad that you have made a little time to spend with us today here on EWTN Radio. I'm Matt Swain. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis has a video feed up and running. And as I explained last hour, uh, if I look weird on that video feed the next couple days, it's because I'm in uh, the Columbus area getting ready to tape a couple of episodes of The Journey Home. So pray for the success of those and for the people who will be sharing their testimonies. Up this hour, Danielle Bean will talk about helping kids prepare for Lent. 
Father Patrick Briscoe will also have some lens and resources from our Sunday visitor. On a less family-friendly topic, Steve Ray will talk about infidelity in the Bible. So uh, maybe your kids can listen to the first half of the show. But after the news, Steve Ray uh, at the bottom of the hour is going to discuss why it is that infidelity is an image that's used so often to talk about uh, Israel and her relationship with God. Uh, plus, Chris McGregor at the end of the hour, she's got some stuff on St. Scholastica that shows up in the Office of Readings this week. So stay with us if you can. Right now, it is two minutes past. News is a service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. U.S. airstrikes on Iranian-backed militias in Iraq and Syria likely resulted in casualties. That's what Pentagon spokesman Major General Pat Ryder told reporters yesterday. He said, however, that Central Command is continuing its assessment of Friday's strike against more than 80 targets. U.S. forces are targeting the Iranian-backed groups responsible for the attack in Jordan, which left three American soldiers dead and dozens more wounded. Meanwhile, a second group of children has arrived in Italy from Gaza to receive medical treatment. Vatican News reports they departed from Egypt on Friday and were greeted yesterday by, among others, the vicar of the custody of the Holy Land, who has helped organize this effort to bring children into Italy for medical care that they otherwise could not access at home. The Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith issued a new doctrinal note over the weekend on discerning the validity of the sacraments. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. Justice Verbisque reaffirms that the formulas and material elements established in the essential rite of each sacrament cannot be changed at will in the name of creativity. Doing so, in fact, renders the sacrament itself invalid. Therefore, it never existed and no sacramental grace was conferred. Cardinal Victor Fernandez, prefect of the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, said that there has been a multiplication in the number of situations in which it was necessary to declare the invalidity of the celebrated sacraments. As an example, he cited modifications to the baptismal formula, including, I baptize you in the name of the Creator, or in the name of the Dad and the Mom, we baptize you. Some priests, he noted, have also discovered the invalidity of their own ordination due to an invalid baptism. Cardinal Fernandez explained that while in other areas of the church's pastoral action there is ample room for creativity, in the realm of sacramental celebration this turns instead into a manipulative will. He said the church has the duty to ensure the priority of God's action and to safeguard the unity of the body of Christ. Sacraments consist of matter such as water, bread, wine, or oil, and form such as words or eloquent gestures like the sign of the cross, anointing, or laying on of hands. These elements and their interrelation cannot be changed without invalidating the sacrament they confer because they find their origin in sacred scripture, in the church's living tradition, and in the magisterium. Therefore, says the note, matter and form have never depended nor can depend on the will of the individual or the individual community. Justice Verbisque concludes by noting that what is read in the promulgated liturgical books must be faithfully observed without adding, removing, or changing anything. I'm Devin Watkins. Pope Francis is meeting with his Council of Cardinals this week. The Holy See Press Office released a statement yesterday saying all nine of the C9 are present with the Holy Father in Rome this week. The last time they met was back in December, and during those meetings, they focused on the role of women in the church. 
there's been no word so far as to what the main theme of their meetings is this week. Vice President Kamala Harris is heading to Savannah today to continue her pro-abortion tour. Harris is scheduled to make an appearance in the city today to speak about the administration's efforts to expand abortion in a post-Roe world. The White House says it will be the third stop on her so-called Fight for Reproductive Freedom tour. A new national poll from the University of Massachusetts Amherst has found little enthusiasm for a Biden-Trump rematch. Mark Mayfield reports. Over a thousand people were questioned and 53 percent said they didn't want former President Trump to run. 57 percent didn't want President Biden to seek re-election. The poll's margin of error was 3.7 percent. I'm Mark Mayfield. After other parts of Southern California got hit with major storms, San Diego has now been taking a beating. The National Weather Service says by the end of today, normally sunny and dry San Diego will see more than an inch of rain near the border. Then lighter rain, around a half an inch per day, is in the forecast for tomorrow and Thursday. And an asteroid the size of a football stadium apparently zoomed past Earth the other day. On Fridays, astronomers track the path of an asteroid that's estimated to be 890 feet wide. It was within 1.7 million miles of our planet. This was the first time it passed Earth since 2016. And the next time it comes back our way will be in 2032. It'll be about 45 million miles away then. The Virtual Telescope Project live streamed the event on YouTube, so those who are wanting to catch a glimpse of it can still view the video. I think this is a gimmick. You think so? I don't think there's a real asteroid. This is this is part of a Super Bowl commercial. Oh, interesting. Is Patrick Stewart in this story? Maybe. I'm I'm thinking this is a this is a marketing tactic. Hmm. I think space bought time during Super Bowl week. That's just me. But it was Friday, so it was before. So an asteroid, well, yeah, I guess so. Well, but but you reported it, that an asteroid the size of a football stadium, you reported it during Super Bowl week. Oh, okay. Well, I guess that's fair. By the way, we're not going to be seeing any more of the teams. You know, they had their, like, press day yesterday. Sequestered. They got to play actual football soon. Yeah. I hear Taylor Swift is going to be there. Who's that? Today is Tuesday, February the 6th, the Feast of the Martyrs of Nagasaki. Pray for us. It's nine past. Danielle Bean back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Head over to daniellebean.com to connect with her, invite her to speak or lead a retreat, listen to her girlfriend's podcast, and you can subscribe to get special content, including the podcast she does with her husband, Dan. Good morning, Danielle. Good morning. How are you? I am doing fine. And, uh, you know, trying to get myself prepared for Lent, trying to, um, you know, kind of embody the the old-timey tradition of Septuagesima season, um, where we're supposed to be preparing for this season. But I think listeners are probably sick of hearing me talk about why I think it's important (laughs) to prepare for Lent. Why do you think it is important to prepare for Lent? Yeah, I I think it's important because if you go in without a plan, 
I mean, it's an uncomfortable thing, right, to, to, <laughs> to sacrifice and give alms and do extra prayer. And it's going to be hard. And it's going to be extra hard to get yourself to do it in an instant without a plan in place. So I think giving some thought and really praying about this beforehand, you know, every Lent is different. Every one of us is a unique individual, and we're at different ages and stages of life. And God is calling us to grow in holiness at all times, but in different ways. So spend some time in prayer asking God to help you to know the specific ways that he wants you to grow this Lenten season. Easy to get distracted by all kinds of things. There's all kinds of people talking about all different plans for Lent and selling you different products that are going to, you know, organize your Lenten season, have you have the best Lent ever. I mean, a lot of those are great things, but not necessarily the way that God is calling you to grow closer to him during these 40 days of preparation before Easter. So spending some time in prayer and then spending some time really planning. I mean, I actually recommend writing it out. My husband and I usually spend a little time together uh, creating a Google Doc and just talking about the different things we might want to take on and putting them down. And it actually helps you to make that commitment if you're writing it down. What do you think um, about helping your kids prepare for Lent? Do you think that is a necessary thing for a parent to do as well? Absolutely. I think, first of all, you got to set that example of doing it yourself. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, even when they're little, have these conversations with your kids. Think about age-appropriate ways that they can fast, that they can give alms, that uh, they can pray, and help them to do that. Help them to make that plan. Empower them with the fact that they can do this and that God is looking to grow in relationship with them specifically, uniquely, in a very personal way during the Lenten season. I, I always found that when my kids were little, they were all about it. They loved having a plan for Lent, and they loved it. There are you know, different ways you can do things that are kind of um, you know, hands-on activities for kids during Lent. But then as they grow older, it's important to have the conversation. Don't just assume that they're making a plan for their let. You know, if you're, you've got a teenager in the house, have that conversation. They don't necessarily have to share it with you, but uh, ask them if they're thinking about it and ask them if they're praying about it. Is sacrifice uh, a necessary thing even as a child? How do you talk to your kid about sacrificing something for the Lord for a time, like, like for the season of Lent? You know, it's always been my experience. Our kids put us to shame with their level of <laughs> enthusiasm for sacrifice. They just love. You know, kids just pour themselves out, and they love. And if you teach them to love the Lord, they're going to be wanting to pour themselves out and sacrifice. Of course, different kids have different challenges and different temperaments and personalities. But it's really been my experience that I'm like, wow, this kid is all about Lent. And, you know, looking for ways to take on sacrifices. And if you if you present to them an opportunity to do something that's extra, whether it's extra prayer or doing extra chores or doing an act of service for somebody— they are all about it. And I find that so encouraging for me in my own life. I actually miss those days when they were little and we could make a plan and they were so excited to love and serve somebody else to, you know, make that part of our Lenten practice and make little sacrifices, maybe putting beans in a jar, counting their sacrifices or, you know, putting their, their quarters or their dollar bills into a jar on the table saving throughout the Lenten season to be able to make a gift to somebody in need at the end of the Lenten season. Really a beautiful way and a tangible way to be living out Lent together as a family.
Well, let me tell you, I'm not going to lie. I have some ideas on what my kids should be giving up for Lent, <laughs> Danielle. Should I tell them or should I let them figure it out themselves? Well, I think you both. You know, I think okay. you can you can pick and choose. And, you know, it's funny because there was one year where I was kind of the main person talking to the kids about Lent. And I was kind of just letting them choose. And um, they kind of chose various things. And and then lo and behold, Lent starts, and then my husband Dan was like, why are the kids eating cookies? You know, like, or mm. why are the kids watching television? Like, in Dan's mind, those were, like, no-brainers. You don't yeah. eat sweets and you don't, you don't watch television. And so the kids, that poor, the poor kids that Lent, they had their own Lent sacrifices plus the regular ones piled on. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite a season. But, you know, have that conversation. And there are some that you might just want to enforce so that it's together as a family, part of your culture. Like, we're not going to watch certain television shows during certain times, or we're not going to have desserts, or, you know, we're not going to, you know, do our weekly movie night, or whatever it is. Just, I think having things together as a family really does a lot to grow your family culture, and specifically make it Catholic. What about a kid that's really resistant to that, like, would be really upset to lose the occasional dessert, or be really upset to lose that particular TV show that they love, I don't know, you know, whatever the corporate penance might happen to be. How do you, Mm -hmm. how do you help a kid through that so that they don't, this is one thing that I really worry about, Danielle, like Mm -hmm. personally in my own family is that I don't, I don't want my kids to end up resenting anything that has to do with penance and, and the church and, and things of matters of religion I don't want to, right. you know, that they can hold on to that, I think. Um, so how, how how do you navigate that? Yeah, I Asking mean, I think for a friend. conversation. Yeah, I totally get it. And, you know, and it, it, there might be some occasions where with, with a kid, you do want to kind of relax the rules a little bit. Um, because I, I think that that's ultimately the, the challenge we have as parents as we're raising them in the faith, whether it's Lent or not, is how do we create these things and create these situations where, it's a sacrifice, it's hard to do, and yet we're teaching them the joy in doing that, teaching them the value in doing that thing, but not pushing it so hard and hitting them over the head with it so that they're tempted to rebel or, you know, become resentful. So kind of walking that line. And, and, you know, like I said at the start, different kids have different temperaments, different personalities. You know your kids better than anybody else. And I think maybe together as a couple, you can kind of wind up on the, the right solution, the right balance between these things. You know, we moms, at least me, I tend toward the mercy side of things. <laughs> and my husband is more a justice kind of guy, you know. And we can we can find a balance between those two things in having a conversation about what's the best path to afford with a particular kid with a particular situation. Yeah, and uh, which parent would be best to communicate that to each particular kid. Some good advice yes. from Danielle Bean. You can find her site, daniellebean.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Danielle, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. You too, Danielle. Thanks. All right. It's 17 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We are back with headlines right after this. Stay with us. Let's see. If something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into. And that is MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save many families up to 500 bucks a month. And that is huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. 
double. MetaShare works too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy, or you just want to plan you're happy with, you can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can say. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 877-64-BIBLE. That's 877-64-BIBLE. 877-64-BIBLE. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. The Catholic Gentleman Podcast is a show for Catholic men on the topics of living with virtue and holiness in the modern world, providing practical insights for men of all ages. You can hear The Catholic Gentleman, as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates around the world, all in one place, all free at EWTN Podcast Central. Visit EWTN.com slash radio and click Podcast Central today. 19 past. Here's Anna with headlines. U.S. airstrikes on Iranian-backed militias in Iraq and Syria likely resulted in casualties. This according to the Pentagon, saying Central Command is continuing to assess these strikes over the weekend. Vice President Kamala Harris is heading to Savannah, Georgia today to continue her pro-abortion tour. And the Patriarchate of Jerusalem is condemning a recent attack on an abbot in the Holy Land. Next newscast coming up in about 11 minutes. Uh, Anna Mitchell, just one more remark on the uh, Doctrine of Faith document on why you shouldn't change the words of the sacraments. Mm -hmm. Um, I was just thinking, I don't know if anybody here listening has ever been to Arlington National Cemetery for the uh, changing of the guard at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Yes. But just imagine that you were a Korean War veteran and you went to the changing of the guard and a soldier just sort of made up his own part of that ceremony. Mm -hmm. Like, how would you feel in light of what you know is represented, the sacrifice that you know is represented there? How would you feel if... Devastated. Yeah. How would you feel if your quarterback just decided to do whatever he pleased? throw out the rule book right break all the rules oh, so, well so if that if that kind of thing would make you mad then you can understand why the church is very very serious about making sure we guard what christ has given to us amen it's 21 minutes past the hour you subscribe to get the sunrise morning show show notes when you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, 
go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Hello, this is Father Mark Watkins, pastor of St. Lawrence. Pray with me now the praises of Mary by St. Anthony of Padua. The praises of Mary. Oh, how wondrous is the dignity of the glorious Virgin. She merited to become the mother of him who is the strength and beauty of the angels and the grandeur of all the saints. Mary was the seat of our sanctification, that is to say, the dwelling place of the Son who sacrificed himself for us. And I shall glorify the place where my feet have stood, The feet of the Savior signify his human nature. The place where the feet of the Savior stood was the Blessed Virgin Mary, who gave him his human nature. Today the Lord glorifies that place, since he has exalted Mary above the choirs of the angels. That is to say, the Blessed Virgin, who was the dwelling of the Savior, has been assumed bodily into heaven. Amen. Father Patrick Briscoe is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show, editor of Our Sunday Visitor. Good morning, Father. Good morning. I'm catching you just as I head off for my pre-lunch retreat. It's a great time to join you. Where are you headed? Uh, With a group of priests, and uh, we're going to have a great time praying and uh, relaxing before the swing of Lent is upon us. Yeah, I bet. Do do you think, just, I'm curious, pre-priesthood, post-priesthood, which is more intense for you when it comes to Lent? Oh, definitely post-priesthood. Yeah? Yeah, definitely. So because in addition to uh, all, the, all the sacrifices and penances that we undertake as Catholics, uh, the Church provides many of opportunities for her priests to be of service to the faithful. Mm, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Those add a certain, certain degree of, uh, of sacrifice, I would say. What was it like during your novitiate for Lent? Um, did the did did your novice master pick your penance for you? Yes, assigned. And you know, as a religious, we undertake um, communal penances, and that's one of the things that's so particular about penance um, is that it's more effective when we undertake these things together. Mm-hmm. Now, that's why the Friday abstinence is so important. Undertake that as a, as a church, and to take on penances, you know, with our families, with our friends, um, with with our communities, because that that collective action both give support to the people undertaking it, uh, but, but is, is more effective um, in, in, the eyes of, in the eyes of Evan. Absolutely. So Lent just about a week away. Um, definitely time for all of us to, to start lining up what we want to do in terms of, of Lenten devotions and, and whatnot. Um, remind us of what my daily visitor is all about. I know that's something you've been doing for, for Lent and Advent and I mean, other times as well. Yeah, this is a great opportunity, you know, and I'm so pleased to be able to offer it to your listeners. You can join tens of thousands of Catholics for free on a, on a beautiful Lenten journey uh, with my daily visitors. So it's a devotional that arrives in your inbox every morning, 
there's a short video and a reflection from me. So some people like to watch and watch the video and, and listen to the reflection. Other people just prefer to read it there in the email. Um, so everything is provided, and it's all encompassing, and it provides a little meditation on the daily gospel. So if you're a daily mass goer, it's the kind of thing you might appreciate. But if you, if you can't get to daily mass, there's also a strong benefit there, opening the scriptures for you. There's a short prayer, and then there's a, an action tip, a little challenge for each day. And why do you think—well, this is so—I uh, didn't expect— to start off the way that it did, but when you were talking, I got to keep you on your toes. Well, you, know? you, oh you get gosh. a little complacent over there on the other side of the microphone. You have no <laughs> idea, Father. You have no idea. Yeah, I come in with a plan, and you just throw it all off. But this is so interesting. Um, the the idea of of having this this corporate nature to to our penances, to our devotions, um, particularly when it comes to Lent. By diving into the daily readings, that puts us in touch with the whole body of Christ on a daily basis. Absolutely, that's right. So we're just living, living the liturgy more deeply, um, which, is, which is such an important thing in general in our Catholic life, but is heightened by the particular graces of the liturgy in the Lenten season. So do you have all of these, you, I imagine, recorded at least most of them ahead of time? Well, you know, you don't want to let the secrets of Hollywood out. Well, but, of course. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I'd be remiss too. I'd be remiss too if I didn't offer listeners the chance to purchase the booklet because some people say, "Father, you know, I I have enough on my phone or in my emails." So there's also mm-hmm. a beautiful companion booklet that we produce that that is available for people to take with them um, to an adoration chapel or to, to pray in their, their local parish church. Absolutely, but it's I mean, you have to pay for it, but it's super cheap. It's like four bucks or something, right? Less than a cup of coffee. Yep. Absolutely. But the reason that why I asked whether you recorded ahead of time is that I, I presume that you have reviewed all of the readings through um, at least most of the season of Lent. And I'm wondering, how do the themes of, of prayer, fasting and almsgiving kind of thread throughout the Lenten season? Right. So those are the, you know, the three main ways that Catholics have find, find uh, additional spaces for God in our lives, right, by being more attentive to the way he speaks to us. We all believe that Jesus speaks to us, that he calls us to, to know him more completely in our prayer. Um, in fasting, we, we, we heighten our senses. You know, we begin mm-hmm. to tame all the little ways that, that we uh, move away from God in the life of the passion. So fasting is really about ordering our passions, our desires to God. And almsgiving is about practicing charity. Uh, any kind of active work that we do in the name of Jesus uh, to to witness to his kingdom here on this earth. Now, I don't know if this was deliberate. I was reading over at um, my daily visitor just the description of of what this devotional is all about, and and the description says um, well that you have this, and you mentioned this this action item. Um, but it's interesting. It's like a suggestion for each day. The description says to live. Lent well, not say like do or practice Lent well, but to live it. I don't know if I'm making too much of that word live it, but do you think that that there's an important distinction to be made? Yeah, it was super intentional, actually. I'm really glad you brought that up because uh, one of the temptations is to compartmentalize our life of faith. Mm -hmm. And so the whole idea of My Daily Visitor is to help people to integrate their faith throughout their whole life during the Lent season. So how can listeners sign up to receive My Daily Visitor? Visit mydailyvisitor.com.
MyDailyVisitor.com. That's MyDailyVisitor.com. And sign up to receive the free Lenten devotional every day in your inbox. Awesome. And you can find that linked at SunriseMorningShow.com. Father Patrick, really appreciate you coming on uh, from the airport this morning (laughs) just ahead of your retreat. We'll be praying for you. Thanks so much for having me on. Pray for safe travels and a good retreat. All right. God bless. You too, Father. Thank you so much. Always love catching up with Father Patrick. You can find all of our guests linked at sonrisemorningshow.com. Click on the show notes for today. And if you haven't already, click subscribe so you can get that in your inbox every morning as we go on the air. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show, it's time for news. The Patriarchate of Jerusalem has condemned a recent attack on an abbot in the Holy Land. A statement from the Patriarchate on social media says it condemns the unprovoked and shameful assault on Abbot Nicodemus Schnabel, abbot of the Abbey of Dormition in Jerusalem. Noting that the perpetrators were arrested, the statement goes on to say, quote, the prosecution of the perpetrators of such hate crimes is an important tool for deterrence and for enhancing the sense of security of the Christian clergy in the Holy Land. Meanwhile, a second group of children have arrived in Italy from Gaza to receive medical treatment. Vatican News reports they departed from Egypt on Friday and were greeted yesterday by, among others, the vicar of the custody of the Holy Land, who has helped organize this effort to bring children into Italy for medical care that they otherwise would not be able to access amid the Israel-Hamas war. U.S. airstrikes on Iranian-backed militias in Iraq and Syria likely resulted in casualties. More from Trey Thomas. The Pentagon told reporters Monday that Central Command is continuing its assessment of Friday's strike against more than 80 targets. We currently assess that we had good effects and that the strikes destroyed or functionally damaged more than 80 targets at the seven facilities. Top administration officials say this is just the beginning of retaliation for the attack in Jordan that killed three American soldiers. I'm Trey Thomas. Pope Francis continues his meetings with his Council of Cardinals today. The Holy See Press Office released a statement yesterday saying all nine of these so-called C9 are present with the Holy Father for this next round of meetings this week. The last time they met was back in December and they focused on the role of women in the church in those meetings. There's been no word so far as to what the main theme of their meetings is this week. Pope Francis this weekend made a phone call to a religious sister in Haiti to offer his support. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Lubov reports. Pope Francis made a phone call on Saturday afternoon to Sister Paisi, a French-born nun who has been in the Haitian capital of Port-au-Prince since 1999 to devote herself to the children of extremely impoverished and densely populated Cité Soleil in the Port-au-Prince metropolitan area. In an interview after the papal phone call with Vatican Radio's Jean-Charles Pizzolou, Sister Paisi offered a few details about her conversation with Pope Francis and the reality facing people in Haiti. Asked how she received Pope Francis' call, she noted it was a great surprise. When my phone rang, I obviously didn't expect to be called by the Holy Father at all, she said. He sent me a message of encouragement and thanked me for being there for the children. Sister Paisi said it brought joy and hope to many other people because this appeal was not just for me. It was really a gesture toward the children and the poorest people of Haiti. 
She lamented the always more precarious and violent conditions for those in the capital, noting we now see people sleeping in the streets with their children, something we didn't see in Port-au-Prince before. Asked, without the church, without their action, what would their future be? She said, they would be left to fend for themselves and live in poverty. What would become of them, she pondered, only the Lord knows. But a few days ago, she recalled that some mother said to her, Sister, if it weren't for you, we'd all be dead. <laughs> I think they were exaggerating a little, she noted. Sometimes I even wonder, she said, how people manage to survive when they go several days without eating and really have nothing. The Lord is present, she said. I think that's really the answer. He is present for them. He never abandons his children. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. Vice President Kamala Harris is heading to Savannah today to continue her pro-abortion tour. Harris is scheduled to make an appearance in the city today to speak about the administration's efforts to expand abortion in a post-Roe world. The White House says this will be the third stop on the so-called Fight for Reproductive Freedom Tour. And country music star Kobe Teeth, Kobe, Toby Keith has died. He was 62 years old. He died Monday night, according to his Twitter account. Keith had been diagnosed with stomach cancer a few years ago. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 minutes past the hour. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. What does the church say about contraceptives? The Catholic Church is very specific and unwavering in her teachings that the use of contraceptives to prevent pregnancy is, in every case, immoral and intrinsically evil, a serious moral wrong. People sometimes ask why the church is so adamant when they feel this should be a couple's decision. The fact is that the procreation of children is one of the inherent purposes of marriage and as such cannot in any way be interfered with by any means, mechanical or chemical. The marriage sexual act is God's way of continuing the human race. To accept God's wonderful gift of sexual relations without also being open to the possibility of conception is to void God's plan. To employ any means of preventing conception as a result of sexual relations can never be justified, even if a couple is married. For more information, contact your local pastor or refer to the Catechism of the Catholic Church paragraphs 2362 through 2366. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Deacon Bill Mullaney. Well, the Bible is the holiest book in history. Sometimes you even see the words Holy Bible printed right there on the cover. But man, there sure are a lot of people who do some pretty unholy things in it. 
And we're going to talk about some of that this morning with Steve Ray from CatholicConvert.com. Steve, good morning. Good morning, Matt. You are absolutely correct. It is the Holy Bible, but it's also a very earthy human book, telling the human condition very honestly. (laughs) Yes, indeed it is. And uh, we're going to try and keep this one as family-friendly as possible, but there are a lot of cases of infidelity in the Bible, both uh, as a metaphor for the people of Israel, but also on a real practical, personal level, there's a lot of this stuff. Yeah, there really is, uh, not counting adultery, which is a topic that we're not going to cover today, but the word harlot and its synonyms, you know what I mean? There's a lot of them, but we will avoid the sordid details, but the word harlot and its synonyms are used 218 times in the Bible, which is quite a bit, actually, cause, and it's really showing the real human condition. It's, uh, that, like we said, an earthy book. But it's equally pretty much divided between actual harlotry and an image of Israel's fidel- infidelity to God that's viewed as God weds Israel. He, it's his people, and he, and he, like he does with the church, we're his bride. He also viewed Israel that way, and so he explained the uh, infidelity of Israel as harlotry. Yeah, so— Man, there's so many different ways we could talk about this. I don't think people realize just how much material there is on this question uh, from <laughs> from Genesis, uh, you know, all the way to, you know, the whore of Babylon, <laughs> you know, at the right. end of the book of Revelation. But That's right. let's talk about uh, what, what the ideal of love is, because St. Paul— uh, you know, he gets into the the real nature of what love should be, and that kind of helps us understand why this is such a big sin and such a big theme. Yes, is uh, the one of the interesting things is that um, Corinth. We made a movie about Corinth, uh, about Saint Paul's life, and we filmed in Corinth, and it was a really wicked city because it was the center of travel. Of all the ships, the merchant ships had to pass through Corinth. And there was um, one of the Roman um, uh, historians named Strabo said there were a thousand harlots in Corinth. And that is where we find the word prostitute actually used in the book of 1 Corinthians, because Paul was warning the people there, you can no longer live this debauched lifestyle like you have. You have now been betrothed to Christ. I betrothed you to Christ. You have a new bride now, and you have to stay loyal to this bride. And so Paul is contrasting two kinds of quote-unquote love. First, the love that we learn from God and the lust that was being practiced in Corinth. And he, I, in the movie, I say that Paul hits Corinth like a sledgehammer. He explains what real love is. He condemns the harlotry going on and the practices going on in Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians 13, right after he talks about this, he, ex- he has what we call the love chapter, where he explains what real love is. It's the exact opposite of lust. They both start with L, and they both have four letters, but love and lust are the opposites of each other. And so uh, Corinth was a wicked city, and Paul hit it like a sledgehammer with telling what real love was. Well, and in this, it's just so fascinating that in pointing out, uh, you know, what these false loves are, you know, this this you know practice in the city of Corinth, uh, when he writes First Corinthians thirteen, that is one of the most popular 
passages in all of scripture when it comes to what people are picking for their weddings, right? For readings. Right. So, and real love is the most beautiful. It's the most popular. Real love is what human yeah. beings really desire. Well, we know that yeah. Christ is the bridegroom and, and the church is his bride. But before we get to that, right, we have this image of God, as you mentioned before, uh, who treats Israel like his bride. So how do we see that kind of story play out through the first major part of salvation history? Well, it's really interesting that Ezekiel, the great prophet, right, and in fact, Ezekiel chapter 16, if people want to read about this, it's really fascinating. And in that passage, they uh, they use the word harlot, or its synonyms, 21 times, plus the word abominations and adultery. And the reason is, is because God is explaining that I betrothed you. I found you, and he's using the image I found you as a young baby, just born, and you were abandoned, and you were thrown in the field, and your umbilical cord wasn't even cut, and I brought you in, and I cleansed you, and I raised you, and I I treated you as a special bride, and then when you were old enough, I wed you. And it was a, it's a term of marriage. I had a covenant with you. But you went after the other gods. And that is where the word harlot comes in. You went away and, and you were unfaithful, infidelity. And you went after these other gods of Moloch and, and uh, Chemosh and Baal and Asherah. And because of that, you have left me. And it's a very graphic image in Ezekiel 16. It'll make you blush when you read it. But it shows how God views his love for Israel and his love for the church. And he wants us to be have a great fidelity and faithfulness to him. And um, so this plays out not only in the Old Testament with Israel in Jerusalem. It says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, why have you done this to me? And then in the, and we know in Ephesians, when he talks about the husband and a wife and a family, he says, oh, and by the way, I'm referring to Christ and the church as the bride. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating thing uh, to, to look at. And, you know, what's... What, What's interesting is that there is all this wickedness, right, <laughs> that happens in the Old Testament, um, actual stories of, of this kind of thing happening, uh, but also this imagery of Christ, well, of God and Israel that you know, becomes imagery of Christ and his church. But it turns out, interestingly enough, that when Jesus comes to town, uh, he actually, when he meets people who are in this lifestyle, he treats them with a shocking amount of mercy and reaches out to them, much like God reaches out to his people to try and draw them back in the Old Testament. Yes, and the mercy is always along with repentance. It's always like when the woman was caught in the sin of adultery, he forgave her, but he said, go out and sin no more. It, it has to do, the mercy of God is tied to our repentance. We have to, when there was people that lived this lifestyle, it was always now you have to leave that lifestyle and come to me. You have to live your life holy now. You have to repent of your past sins and infidelities, and you have to now become faithful and holy to me. And that is what—that's the theme of the whole Bible. The whole Bible is that, is repentance and mercy is shown. I think it's just absolutely fascinating that in, in normal everyday life, if this kind of situation is going on, people are cast out from society, but God keeps on reaching back out and reaching back out and reaching back yeah. out. And uh, yeah. most fascinating is that what's one of the biggest criticisms that Jesus gets during his entire earthly ministry? Look who he's eating with, <laughs> right? Yeah, this look who he's associated that... with. Right. But he came to save sinners, didn't he? He didn't come to save the righteous. Mm-hmm. He said he came to save sinners, and that's why he came. And, and by the way, that's why I'm a Christian, Matt, because he saved me. Yeah, 
Um, I'm glad he didn't give up after one or two tries on me. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and every time we go back to the sacrament of confession, right? Uh, I mean, this image of, of, of harlotry and all this other stuff is so often tied to not actual acts related to adultery when we're seeing these images in the, in the Bible, but worshiping yeah. other things, chasing lesser do I have, loves. Do I have and, 15 more seconds? One you of the absolutely interesting do. Th- one of the interesting things is the whole New Testament begins with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And usually genealogies just deal with the men, the men, father of father. But in this genealogy, there's five women. Two of them are harlots. So you can say in a way Jesus has skeletons in his closet in a way because as you're going through, he's really comes into the human race, doesn't he? He comes through a woman, Mary, but there's five other women there. Rahab the harlot, Tamar the harlot, Bathsheba, who was involved in idolatry. Ruth is a foreign Moabite woman, and then the Blessed Virgin Mary's number five. So he really immerses himself right in the human condition, right in here with all of us human beings. That's how he came. And even in his genealogy, you see that. Well, let's be inspired by that to not chase lesser loves in our own life today steve ray we've got catholicconvert.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com you can find stuff like steve's video that he did on corinth and uh other great kinds of things steve thank you as always have a wonderful day thank you matt all right it's 14 till chris mcgregor joins us next for over 500 years the church honored spiritual exercises of saint ignatius of loyola have formed many saints this treasured way of personal prayer with god is now available to you for free order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring ignatian prayer to others lord teach me to pray is approved by the usccb order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Have you subscribed to get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes? When you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. Catechism in a Year with me, Father Mike Schmitz, is now available right here on Catholic Radio. Encounter God's plan of sheer goodness for us, revealed in Scripture and passed down through the tradition of the Catholic faith as we journey together toward our heavenly home. Bible in a Year and Catechism in a Year with Father Mike Schmitz, tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific on EWTN Radio. 12 till now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Let's take a look at headlines. The Patriarchate of Jerusalem is condemning a recent attack on an abbot in the Holy Land. And meanwhile, a second group of children have now arrived in Italy from Gaza to receive medical treatment. 
U.S. airstrikes on Iranian-backed militias in Iraq and Syria likely resulted in casualties. That, according to the Pentagon, as Central Command continues to assess what happened over the weekend in these airstrikes. And the Pope continues his meetings with the Council of Cardinals this week. You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Happy to welcome back to the Sunrise Morning Show, Chris McGregor from DiscerningHearts.com. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. I'm so happy that you're happy about that. I am always <laughs> so, 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 so happy to get to talk to you because you have such great discernment when it comes to your selections for the Office of Readings that we get to discuss each week. And I absolutely love your pick which is for the Feast of St. Scholastica on February 10th. Now, for those who may not be familiar with her, who is St. Scholastica? St. Scholastica is so important to the Benedictine tradition and to the uh, those who are Benedictines, the sisters, the brothers, the fathers, and also the Oblates. But I think she is also very important to the world because she was born in Nursia. She's the twin sister of St. Benedict. And she was dedicated to God at a very early age and followed her brother to Casino, Monte Casino. And it's um, when St. Benedict, after their parents died and he had chosen to follow the religious life, her call, her calling was similar and he provided for her. And so she was in a monastery of some other women who were at the base of Monte Casino. And there she was in great uh, prayer and and uh, just reflection and devotion to the Lord. Absolutely. Tremendous witness. Tremendous witness, as is her twin brother, of course. And mm -hmm. so the reading that we have for her feast day in the Office of Readings, kind of famous story written by Pope St. Gregory the Great, who wrote the life of, of St. Benedict because he was a Benedictine himself, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. Now, before we get on um, reflecting on, on some of the specific points that that Gregory makes in, in this passage, um, can you just tell us the story of Benedict Scholastica and the storm? Well, this is uh, quite a moment. They're both now older, having lived a life in seeking out to doing the Lord's will. Of course, Benedict by now has pulled from all the great traditions uh, a rule for Benedictines that would be the basis for Western monasticism and living in community, the experience of Lexio Divina, the the balance of celebrating the day and um, throughout the day of prayer and work and so many other things. But now they're at this point in their life in beautiful Monte Cassino. He built a monastery that is at the top of the mountain. And if it's one of the most lovely areas in all of Italy, I encourage people to go. It was bombed out in World War II mm -hmm. and rebuilt, uh, essentially. Their foundations were still there, but the, the, the monastery itself was rebuilt. And it's so beautiful. And she was at the base of that. And so there came to be a time once a year where they would meet and at uh, and discuss the spiritual life, discuss holy things. There's just wonderful spiritual conversation, which fueled the, the relationship for a whole year. And, and this became a practice for them. 
And then what happened? Well, there came a time when Benedict went down and was with several others, but entered into a conversation with her. Now, according to the Holy Rule, he's not supposed to leave the monastery, but he makes an exception in this particular case. And when they're they're so enthralled, they're having such a wonderful conversation, but night is coming and he needs to get back onto the top of the mountain. And Scholastica says, please stay. And he says, no, no, I can't. So she quiets herself and begins to pray, not anxiously, not um, with that type of anxious prayer, oh, come on, and begs and pleads, but just quietly prays, and a great storm erupts. And it's so intense that Benedict looks out, and and he said, what have you done? (laughs) And she said, well, I asked you, and you didn't listen, so I asked God. And he did. Mm. And so they ended up spending the night in spiritual conversation um, just to make this beautiful story sh- a little shorter. And I encourage people to go to the Office of Readings to to read what uh, Pope Gregory the Great uh, would write about this. He would be traveling back up to Casino, and at some, at some time in that journey, he saw a dove. And he knew in his heart of hearts, that that was Scholastica's soul, that she had died. And from that moment, her body was brought back to the monastery. And when eventually when Benedict passed, his both their remains were placed in the same crypt. Mm. And you can go there today, 1,500 years later, and, you know, they started in the womb, and they're still together in the tomb, it's below, it. if you go there, there's a high altar, a big, you know, the main entrance to the church. You go down to a second level crypt. But if you're, if you ask the sacristan, he will, you knock and you ask nicely, he'll take you down to an even lower level. And that's where the, the oh, actual wow. box, where the actual, the, where their bones oh. are there. Wow. Just beautiful. Incredible. We're already running out of time. We only have like a minute and a half left here, Chris. But I just want your reflection on this one line from from Gregory that that really makes me tear up. It says, it is not surprising that she was more effective than he, since as John says, God is love. It was absolutely right that she could do more, as she loved more. That's right. She was so close to the Lord. She knew how to pray. She knew how to, um, for the, all of us, God is love. And so those who love much know him, and he knows them. And that's, you know, that's how miracles happen. And they have just such an abiding faith and trust. There's no anxiety in their prayer. You know, you, have, you see it in the, in the prayer of Mother Teresa, the countless stories of what her prayer was like, because she loved God more. Yeah, absolutely. Just a beautiful reflection that you can read in the Office of Readings from Pope St. Gregory the Great on the life of St. Benedict and St. Scholastica and that famous story of the storm. Such a great, great, great story to put in the Office of Readings for the Feast of St. Scholastica on February the 10th. We've been talking about it with Chris McGregor from discerninghearts.com, which you can find linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Chris, thank you. Thank you, Anna. God bless you. You too. Thank you very much. All right. That'll do it for this national edition of the Sunrise Morning Show. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.